This is Focal Point for Tuesday, the 1st of April, 2008. Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira, for this week's edition. Hello, Chris. How are you going? I'm foolish, Gihan. <laughs> yes. Happy April Fool's Day to you. Yeah, it is indeed the 1st of April, and... Um, it's neither of our birthdays, but interestingly, we have a friend who's very pregnant at the moment who could have a baby any time soon. I think, yeah, she's hoping it's not going to be today. Yes, I hope so, for her sake and her future child's sake. That's right. We've been talking about being sceptical on the internet, and I've got a perfect segue for today. We talk about April Fool's Day, and we talk about foolish people as being, I guess, being gullible and not being very smart. But uh, the origin of the word fool, in medieval times, a fool was a person like the court jester who had permission to go to court and challenge the king's authority and challenge what was being said by the, the king and all his yes-men who would generally support him. But the fool had the permission to actually challenge the king without having his head chopped off. So it's quite interesting because it relates to what we've been talking about for the last few podcasts as saying, especially on the internet, you should be challenging authority. You shouldn't just be assuming and taking things for granted just because you read them on the internet or just because you hear them in an in a audio program or see a YouTube video or listen to a podcast or anything like that. Yeah, so I would encourage people to be more foolish, but in a medieval sense. That's right, we're going to celebrate foolishness today in, the, in that sceptical sense. And some of our... Um, some people would say that we've been doing that all the time, Chris. <laughs> That's right, not just on April Fool's Day. But yes, and there's also the motley fools who've picked up on that, that medieval meaning of the term fools, who, um, who are investment gurus and who take a contrarian approach to uh, their investment advice. Yes, yes, and I've come across them. They're, they've got a very good website and they've got a huge following. Um, yeah, because they do take the contrarian view and don't just accept what's said. Yeah, that's right. They uh, they've come up with various investment schemes that look at um, stocks that people have ignored, um, and and they see them as being valuable. So what, that was a good segue, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. <laughs> a nice way to link in April Fool's Day with our with our previous topics. Indeed. So, so um, today we like we finished really as. as a three-part segment on trusting authority on the internet and being an authority on the internet. But interestingly, the, the topic we're going to talk about today is to do with email and to do with spam, and uh, it's perhaps one of the most controversial topics we've covered. And it's an interesting, uh, that the timing's interesting because it, it is related to this idea of authority on the internet. But we've said one of the reasons you shouldn't trust everything you read on the internet is because there is no filter. There is no there is no owner of the internet uh, in the same way as there's a publisher of a newspaper or the owner of a media station who has some way of, of filtering what goes through. And if you know what their biases are, you can account for that, but at least you know that, it, that not everyone can just publish whatever they want. And on the internet, that's not true. Anyone can publish whatever they want. However, there are some authorities which have been set up, I guess, by the internet community who do have some control of the internet. And one of them is ICANN, I-C-A-N-N. I, we should have looked up what it stood for, Chris. I'm not quite it's sure, but I know that like, if you have a website and you have a domain name, you might have actually got emails from ICANN in the past because they look after domain names. That's right. It's the Internet Corporation 
or assigned names and numbers. So as, as you've just pointed out, they regulate um, IP names and numbers, essentially. Yeah, so if there was anybody who, would, who we could say has overall control of the Internet or some sort of authority over the Internet, it would be ICANN. Right. And they have come up with a controversial proposal to start charging for email in an, in an attempt to solve the problem of spam. That's right, Gihan. So I'm really... I guess anyone who's been around on the internet for a while knows how big a problem spam is, and you have some stats about that, don't you, Chris? That's right, I do. The, back in 2006, someone compiled the statistics on ingoing and outgoing emails and what proportion of them are spam messages. And back then, uh, the daily email um, count was 31 billion messages, of which a massive 40% or 12 billion messages were considered unsolicited mail or spam. So that's phenomenal. 12 billion messages a day. Back in 2006, numbers that are probably out of date by now. And again, a, a huge proportion, 40%. So it really is a scourge. So uh, efforts to um, deal with spam effectively um, are, are certainly going to be welcomed. I remember around about that time, it was a couple of years ago, I think I heard Bill Gates um, being quoted speaking at a conference saying uh, the biggest threat to the internet or the biggest challenge for the internet is managing spam. And they had a number of options, and we'll talk about the one that they've decided on now, but they had a number of options, including things like having computers who, who receive the email have to do some sort of calculation to authenticate the email and kind of sl slow down the email system so that normal emails don't really get slowed, but overall, like millions of emails this time, it just becomes too slow for it to be effective. Indeed, you're right. That was um, one of the proposals. And in fact, having just mentioned Bill Gates, one of the proposals that he was advocating was instead of trying to um, put a, a processing burden on uh, senders of email messages, trying to slow down the rate at which you can generate spam, uh, he advocated just making uh, their financial cost um, with each message that you send. So in other words, similar to um, postage stamps on snail mail, imposing a cost per message of email that you send so that for you and me it will be a tiny cost. I think the amount proposed was a fraction of a cent. Um, but if you're sending a few emails, it doesn't add up to much. But if you're sending out millions of email messages, then the cost becomes too burdensome to, uh, to actually bear. Yes, that is actually leading on to what's actually happened, which is yeah. that that is now going to become law and it's going to become part of the way that the Internet operates. But before we get to that, Chris, I remember one of the, when we were having this conversation a couple of years ago when this became a really hot topic, one of our mutual friends, Gordon, he had a similar idea, but he had this idea where you have a, a pool of money. So we just have credits. So if I send you email and you send me back an email, then they sort of cancel each other out. So there's actually no exchange of money among friends. It's only if you're emailing strangers that you have to pay. Do you remember when we had that, con that sort of conversation? I don't actually recall that conversation. Um, that's uh, an interesting concept, though, isn't it? Well, it's, it's saying for the first contact you have with somebody, you have to pay, and then if they accept you into your into your circle of into their circle of friends, then after that, you don't have to pay. It's, it's almost saying they become, they join your whitelist, and um, you just exchange money, virtual money, back and forth, which is fair because it's um, you want to allow email from people you know, but from strangers, 
obviously might want to hear from somebody the first time and they've had to pay a small fee for that. But after that, if you accept them, then they, they no longer have to do that. Indeed. After that first message on Herbal Viagra, um, having used it and found that it doesn't work, you don't want to receive any messages about that again. <laughs> That's right. Well, not from that same supplier. That's right. It was a dodgy, a dodgy batch. So that, that's kind yes. of a sensible approach, and it does involve some sort of money exchange. But what's actually going to happen, and I think, what was the date? 1st of July? From the 1st of July, there will be uh, an email, if you like, an email tax on every email. So it's not to do with whether you're friends or not. It's, it's just every email will have a tax on it. And that's, that's right. a controversial part of it, that... Um, Internet advocates are up in arms because they think it's going to completely destroy the way that the internet operates. It's going to become too commercial and too difficult for ordinary people to use email. Yeah, I'm not sure that I agree with that, Kehan. The, the, the method is called certified email. That's the, the, the label given to it. If you type that into Wikipedia, you'll come up with the certified email page and that describes the process as it's going to be implemented whereby a fraction of a cent is charged per email. But I did some rough back-of-the-envelope calculations, and at that rate, at a quarter of a cent per email, it would cost me 50 cents per month to, uh, to deal with that. Um, and if, if the technique works, which um, if it's applied universally, and that's why uh, an organisation like ICANN, which essentially regulates the internet... Um, and, and, and can impose it globally, if it were to work, then I would happily pay 50 cents a month to completely eliminate spam. The cost of spam to me is far greater than 50 cents a month, so I'm happy to uh, to pay a quarter of a cent per email in order to deal with it. It seems like a, a good cost-benefit. Yeah, that's right. And I, I guess if you look at the pro, that's definitely the pro. That's definitely the benefit that for ordinary users, so you use email in your in your business, Chris, but I guess you use it a lot to communicate with your employer as opposed to running like email newsletters, for example, or the sort of things that I do. Yeah. Um, and I guess, that's, I guess that's the benefit and that's the way that it's been promoted as being if it's only going to cost 50 cents a month and you're a reasonably heavy user as, a, as an ordinary email user, it's worthwhile. I looked at mine, so I did, if I did my back of the envelope calculation and if I have an newsletter list of, say, a couple of thousand people, what do we work that out? That's, that's about $5 every time I send out an email to that list. So that's, once a, let's say, once a week. So that's only $20 a month. And again, I'd be okay with that. And there are people with much bigger lists, and they will be paying more than that. And I guess, again, they would, they would argue that maybe the burden's a bit bigger for them, which it is. But presumably they've got bigger lists because those lists are opt-in permission-based lists who are then going to give them money in some other way. And again, they might be willing to, to bear that burden. Indeed. And, and it's the spammers, really, the people who don't have the opt-in lists and have huge mailing lists who are going to be most affected. And, and that's, I guess, where this, this proposal becomes, becomes so effective that it does really hurt um, spammers in the hip pocket. Exactly. Exactly. So... Like certified email is actually in um, use at the moment in a slightly different format. And this, this is what we, that you were telling me about, Chris, when you referred me to the certified email page, that some of the ISPs in the US are using it, but in a slightly different way. Do you want to just explain how that works? Sure. So the two ISPs who are currently using it are AOL and Yahoo. And what happens is 
uh, a third party certifies um, the practices of various senders. So if you're a particular organisation and you want to get onto Yahoo's or AOL's whitelist, then um, a third party kind of audits your practices and then you lodge a sum of money with them and then whenever you send money to AOL or Yahoo, your messages automatically um, are received. They don't go. They don't go through any anti-spam filtering process at, at Yahoo or AOL. Um, and a quarter of a cent per email that goes to those ISPs is deducted from the money that you've lodged with uh, that third party. Right. So in effect, what that does is well, the mechanism's good, but it doesn't stop spam or reduce spam. What it does is it allows non-spammers to get their mail through without it being blocked by um, anti-spam devices. That's right. It's like the dolphins in the tuna nets. So it stops the dolphins from getting caught in the tuna nets, but it doesn't stop the volume of tuna, which is a that's spam. Right. So that's one of the real the, the costs for me of, of having to deal with spam is that I've got various whitelists and anti-spam filters, um, but they're not 100%. Sometimes dolphins get caught in the tuna nets, and so I have to go and look in my spam folders just to make sure that um, that uh, there aren't any dolphins wriggling around in there trying to get free. And, you know, invariably there are. There occasionally I find messages from from yourself or from other people that my filters have um, inadvertently picked up as spam and, um, and filed incorrectly. So I have to spend a lot of time going through manually checking my spam folders in order to, um, in order to pick out the dolphins. Interestingly, the same thing happened to me this morning that a client of mine emailed me today and said, oh my God, there's this email that, has, uh, that I didn't re- recognize, um, that I didn't receive because it went into my spam folder. And it's an email for a proposal I sent him back in November. Right. And, and he's a client, so it wasn't a new client. Or he's, a, he's somebody we've, we've been in a relationship for a long time. And yet, still, my email went into his spam folder and he didn't receive it for, what, four months now? And uh, that could have been disastrous in terms of our business relationship or the work that we did together. And it just, it, it just happened because of the way that he had set up his system in terms of um, managing his spam. So it wasn't my fault, but what the certified mail allows me to do is allow my mail to get through to him um, so I take responsibility for it, and I pay for it. If this scheme becomes ahead, universal and, ma- and mandatory, then then everyone has essentially paid to ensure that their mail gets through, and it's the spammers who who uh, are charged, who are sending huge volumes, and therefore have to pay huge amounts, who will have to uh, curtail their activities. That's right. So the default action at the moment, the default action is that email is free, and you can. Uh, you can pay for it to be guaranteed. I mean, not not everywhere, but with these two ISPs, you can pay for it to be guaranteed delivery. And the new law is going to turn it the other way around so that hmm. email is not free and any free email will automatically be treated as spam. Okay, so we talked about those, those pros, and it sounds like a good thing, especially if ordinary users are only going to spend 50 cents a month. But the cons, uh, the negative side of it, and this is what's causing the controversy, is that I can... ICANN is doing it, which is fine because it's an international organization, but it's being pushed by the U.S. Congress, and I think people are afraid or or concerned um, that the money is actually going to go to 
the American government rather than going... Because that's the big problem with these proposals is what happens to the money and how does that get distributed fairly given that there's no universal money collector on the internet. That's right, Gihan. So with those statistics I mentioned earlier, 31 billion messages a day, that's um, almost $80 million a day of revenue generated at a quarter percent, quarter of a cent per email. So yeah, there's a phenomenal amount of money attached to this proposal, to this, uh, this action. And um, so yes, uh, cynically-minded cynically people might suggest that um, it's really all about revenue raising. Um, and that's perhaps why it hasn't been covered by some of the, the big media corporations because they're like a vested interest, aren't they? They're, they're going to be, I guess that's who it's going to fall to to collect this money, the ISPs, and uh, many of them like AOL and Yahoo are owned by big media companies. And so it's a vested interest for them. And I guess that's why it hasn't had such big coverage uh, in, the, in the major media outlets. Absolutely, it's not in their interest to promote it to promote it widely. It's more in their interest to just push the push it through the Congress, and then it becomes law, and then everyone in the world is affected by it. That's right. Um, and the other thing around this, Chris, is that the certified email proposal, exactly the way you described it, is that organisations have to be certified, whereas in the future they won't have to be. So if anyone who wants to send email will be charged a fee and presumably that fee will be collected by their ISP. So it's not as if the money is coming off some, a fee that they've already paid. They're not going to get charged against it. They're not being charged for being certified. It's just going to be for everybody, whether you send an email to your grandmother or your grandmother sending email or your business person sending out a 10,000-person email list. It's just going to increase the cost of communicating via the Internet. Yeah, it is. It's an internet tax, isn't it? And so that's what some of that's, as you said, what some of the controversy is. And there are people who are opposed to that uh, on the basis that they believe it'll it'll cause the internet to grind to a halt, or they're ideologically opposed to tax on business in general. Um, so yes, you're right. It's it's a it's a flat tax on traffic. Yeah. Yeah. Or they're ideologically opposed to um, the US government controlling this worldwide um, communication medium. The other criticism of this is that it might lead to something which is actually also in the pipeline, uh, like a two-tiered internet. So you might find big organizations setting up their own private networks, which aren't part of the general internet, so that they can communicate, say, say multinational corporation can communicate with their employees. At the moment, they use the internet to do that, but they could set up private networks so that they can avoid this internet tax. And um, eventually, I mean, they could get together and have a, an international network which which has like two two levels of internet. It's like you have the rich and the poor. That's right. I guess in some ways, I guess it's something we can discuss another time. That's the, the net neutrality um, debate that's also going on in parallel in the United States. And also, yeah, the idea of fragmenting the internet um, is dangerous, isn't it? Because the internet's power comes from its, its global reach, its universality and creating a two-tiered or, or even separate um, networks would, would diminish the Internet considerably. It would, and that's one of the fears where it might seem like it's a, it's a little bit away, but it's like a thin end of the, it's a thin end of the wedge. As soon as you start, it seems like the, the, the money is going to go to the, to the, to the rich Internet rather than and the, the poor cousins is going to fall behind. Well, 
So we're getting to the end of our podcast, Chris. Indeed. I think we should come clean. <laughs> I think we should, Gihan. Yes, sir. Well, I right. said at the beginning, we're, we're celebrating April Fool's Day. And uh, indeed, <laughs> there isn't actually a proposal to, uh, an action to impose postage on email, fortunately. Yes. April Fool's. Well, some of the things we said are true, and some of them are not true. So, first of all, before you rush out and um, start attacking any Americans that you see on the street, we should tell you that there is no plan to impose a tax. Well, there's no law coming in on the 1st of July for a tax on email. Um, But some of the things we said are true. Um, Certified email is true, and it is being used by those ISPs on a, I guess, on a um, voluntary basis rather than a... Uh, an enforced basis. Uh, the volume of spam is certainly true and it's certainly a big problem. And uh, and um, we do get dolphins caught in tuna nets and my client really did send me an email which he only found an email now that he had lost four months ago. Um, so the quarter, the quarter sent per email thing is happening but only on a voluntary basis. And, and, and indeed the scheme wouldn't work as... as um as proposed, it would fail. One of the problems, one of the ways that spammers send spam these days is not just by sitting down at their email client and um, sending out uh, email from their own PC. They use infected PCs with uh, a bit of um, software that has been, in, uh, they've used a virus to infect that PC and then the emails are sent from a third party's infected machine. So if this kind of scheme were to be implemented, it wouldn't affect um, spammers in any way because they would be using third parties' machines and the third party would be paying the postage on their behalf. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So you might be, if your PC was infected, you would be sending out spam and you could be doing that even now. That's right. Um, and, if you do and, receive it, and we had a few clues about our hoax, Chris. Some very subtle ones. We said a few things that we have, we have said in the past few podcasts. Be sceptical if people make these sort of claims. So one of the things we said was that um, it's a media cover-up because the media have vested interests. And so you should be sceptical whenever somebody says something like that. Yep. And we also said um, uh, that it was kind of too good to be true. I mean, claimed that if it was applied universally that we would see um, we would see the end of, of spam, effectively. Um, so it sounds like for a, a small fee, 50 cents a month, we would we would see the end of spam, but um, in fact that wouldn't be the case. So it was really a too good to be true, an instance of something being too good to be true. And the fact that it came through um, came through unauthorised channels or not through official channels is another indicator that you just should be sceptical and check it out. What are you saying? Um, I guess yeah, the, the caution is that there's a lot of what we said which was true. So you can look up certified email on Wikipedia. You can look at the spam problem. And so that's another thing to be careful of, that people who are promoting ideas which aren't, which you should be sceptical of will often draw on authority and facts and um, actual credible evidence to support their message. And just because some part of the message is true or verifiable or credible doesn't mean that their core message is. Precisely. We cherry-picked a few facts like certified email actually being in existence, some anti-spam statistics, which are all true, and the examples and anecdotes from our own uh, experiences with spam um, in order to provide that support. But uh, again, cherry-picked. Absolutely. So, And also the fact that 
you and I are trustworthy people and we've always talked about um, credible things in the past doesn't mean that you should ever trust us again. <laughs> That's right. So, so thanks, Chris. Uh, I think that our discussion, even though it was a hoax and our, the, the, our topic was a hoax, there are some interesting other things that will come out of that. So sometime in the future we'll talk about the spam problem and we'll talk about some of the things you should do about spam. And we'll talk about the idea of the, the two-tiered Internet, which actually is true. There is some concern that there is going to be a second level of Internet, which could lead to an Internet poor and Internet rich. And the net yeah. neutrality topic that you raised, those are all interesting and important topics, which we'll cover in future podcasts. So thank you again for your time, and we'll be back thank in two weeks' time. time. Speak to you then. Bye. Okay, bye for now. You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.gihanperera.com forward slash podcast. That's G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A dot com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to all our past issues, or leave us your comments and questions. We look forward to having you back next time. <laughs>